listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. We have a lot to cover today in our Father's Word, so let's get right down to the business of God's Word. Acts chapter 17. If you have a Bible, open it with me. Acts chapter 17. We're going to cover that whole chapter today. But before we get there, I want to put it in a little bit of context. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, that would be the northern part of modern-day Greece. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, who's the we? This is Luke and the traveling companions of the Apostle Paul. So it says we. We see that happening multiple times in the book of Acts. And this is what we're seeing from this point forward. Paul being obedient to the calling of God. Very important to understand the context of this. Now, before we get any further, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. We spent a little bit of time in Acts chapter 16, and not one person has asked me about the peculiarity, what would seem to be a peculiarity, about Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. So I'm going to bring it to our attention anyway. Look at what it says in Acts 16, verses 6 and 7. When they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. See, that might seem to be a peculiarity, but it's really not peculiar. In the same way that the Holy Spirit is used interchangeably with God. For example, Acts chapter 5, when it's the situation with Ananias and Sapphira, in Acts chapter 5, you have that taking place in verses 3 and 4. In the same way that Holy Spirit is used interchangeably with God, Jesus is used interchangeably with the Holy Spirit. This is not some mystical type of a thing, but again, it's yet another way that the Bible presents Jesus and God as being one. There are three persons in the Trinity, one God and three persons. So for those of us who might struggle from time to time wondering, is Jesus God? We have yet another instance where Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit and the Father, they're put on equal footing in terms of their nature, all right, their nature. So Jesus is God. And Paul did receive a vision at night to go into what's modern-day Greece, Macedonia, northern Greece, and to preach the gospel. So they did that. And one of the things that happened was Paul and Silas were thrown into prison when they got to Philippi, one of the books of the New Testament written to the believers in Philippi, the book of Philippians. So what we're seeing in the book of Acts is the historicity of Paul's first, second, 
Then we'll see the third missionary journey, and then some of the letters that Paul and his companions wrote to those believers, those who came to faith as a result of those missionary journeys. And this is the context when we get to Acts chapter 17. Are you ready? Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Are you ready? Come on now, are you ready? Because you're about to hear from the word of God and you're going to get educated and education should lead you to application of God's word. Remember that the book of Acts is not primarily a book of exceptions, but a book of examples of what it looks like to be a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, a family that is filled with the Holy Spirit. What can you expect your life to look like when you are genuinely filled with and led by the Holy Spirit? Remember, that's the context of the book of Acts. It's teaching us this again and again and again. Acts chapter 17 is no exception. Verse one, now, when they, Paul and Silas and his companions, Luke, the author of this particular book, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. First and Second Thessalonians, the letters that Paul wrote to these believers, and came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. Remember, we see this again and again, and we're going to keep seeing it, that Paul's approach was to look for those who were predisposed, who had already had some kind of teaching from the Old Testament about the Messiah, and then he would piggyback off of that. So this is what he's doing again, going to the synagogue. As was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. This is his basis. Explaining and proving that it was necessary, number one, for the Christ to suffer. The idea presented in the Old Testament of a suffering servant, a suffering Messiah. So that's the first thing that Paul made clear from the Old Testament. And then he connects the dots for them and he helps them to understand that not only is this presentation of a suffering Messiah in the Old Testament, not only is that presented in the scriptures, but also who is that suffering servant, that Messiah? He connects the dots and helps them to understand that it is none other than Jesus. So two things that we get insight into as what was Paul's custom? What did he teach when he went into the synagogue? That the Old Testament teaches about a suffering servant, the Messiah, would suffer for people, for salvation. And number two, the big question is, well, how will we recognize that suffering servant? Well, you need to recognize that that suffering servant was and is Jesus, right? Verse three, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. This becomes a problem for the Greeks that we'll see in just a moment. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is that one, is that Messiah, is that Christ. So he's connecting the dots. He's not just preaching about a Messiah or a Savior in general terms. He's helping him understand that Jesus is the one spoken of, prophesied about, written about, In the Old Testament, and if they were devout Jews and if there were God-fearing Greeks who were hanging out at the synagogue, the respectfully speaking, the low-hanging fruit, this would be the opportunity for an aha moment for them to understand that Jesus is the one spoken of, all right? Verse four, 
And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks. See, there are non-Jews hanging out at the synagogue, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews who were there in the synagogue were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, meaning Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. It's kind of a half-truth that they're saying, that there is another king, Jesus, but they were trying to instigate the Roman world as if to put Jesus at odds with Caesar. We know that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but it's a half-truth that they're telling there to incite the crowd. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money, the the equivalent of Baal, when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, or Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Again, when they arrived, where do they go? They go to the synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, to see if what Paul was teaching was true. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Most of these cities, whether it's Philippi to Thessalonica or to Berea, most of these cities or these towns, we would, might call them by modern standards, they're about 30 to 40 miles apart. And these people had a lot of time on their hands, apparently, because they're going from one city or one area. They have a burr under their saddle. They're upset. And they hear what's happening in Berea, so they want to create an uproar there as well. When the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there also agitating and stirring up the crowds. Verse 14, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off. Paul goes off by himself on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul, those who traveled with him, brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So Paul recognizes his need for help, and he calls for Timothy and for Silas. Verse 16, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, idolatry concerns you. Idolatry concerns you. Not just the idolatry that you see in other people's lives and in the culture. Let's land the plane. Let's bring it from the 50,000 foot level to the runway of our lives. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're concerned about idolatry, your use of money, your use of time, your use of resources, beginning with your own. Jesus said it this way, take the log out of your own eye, then you'll be able to remove the speck from someone else's eye. 
It's very easy to read the scriptures and go on a rabbit trail and to begin looking at all of the sins that we're seeing so pervasive in our culture. When we consider that the average teenager today spends more time on a television or a tablet or a smartphone or on a computer or gaming than they do sleeping. We could say, I think we could make a very firm case that idolatry is an issue just with electronics among many teenagers. Now, before we nod our heads and say, that's right, these doggone teenagers, going to corral them all up, need to do something with these teenagers, help them make something useful of their lives. If we're spending half of that time on those same devices ourselves, we have to be honest with ourselves and honest to God, we might have a problem with idolatry as well. Your use of God's money. It's not your money. It never was your money. The use of your house. It's not your house. It's the bank's house. Or even if you own it, it's still not your house. It's God's house that he gave to you. The car or cars that you have, the clothes that you have, the resources that are at your disposal, they can all be used as assets to glorify God and to build his kingdom here and now as we look forward to the eternal kingdom the not yet, the one that's coming, both in the millennial kingdom and the ultimate kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth that's spoken of in Revelation 21. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, idolatry concerns you. If and when idolatry does not concern you, it's nothing more than an indication that you, just like me, you leak. We have a tendency to leak. And one of the things I found out in my own life, and you'll find it to be true if you haven't yet in your own life, is that there's a continual need to be filled again and again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. The way to be filled is to empty ourselves of self, to crucify, therefore, whatever belongs to the sinful nature. And when I do that, it's a conditioned thing. It's a conditional thing. The filling with the Holy Spirit is conditioned upon personal surrender to the living and true God. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit any and every time you empty yourself of self, whatever belongs to the sinful nature, and then the Spirit of God floods into you, overwhelms you, rises up within you, and you, like Paul, you might be a little bit upset about the propensity for idolatry in your own life, let alone the culture. Let's be really careful that we don't become so impassioned about seeing the culture change that we forget that culture has changed one Christ follower at a time. Culture has changed one surrendered life at a time, beginning with you, beginning with me. The best way to deal with idolatry in the culture, the best way to deal with idolatry in the culture is to deal with it in our individual lives. Enough said on that? We understand that? Now put it into practice. Go home today and get rid of the idols. Get rid of the idols that exist in your own life, whatever they might be. Your use of time, your use of money, your use of resources. Idols are found in your use of time, your use of money, your use of resources. Probably one of the greatest things that has happened to us in the 21st century is this whole debate about whether we should stand or kneel during NFL games. Many people have been so completely turned off by what's happening in the NFL that they have found, oh my goodness, 
I actually can do something other than watch a football game this afternoon. <laughs> there actually is something else I can do with my time. It's amazing. Verse 17, Paul, provoked because the city was full of idols. City of Athens. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews. Again, the low-hanging fruit, the place where people were predisposed, having already heard the word of God and the devout persons. So he went to the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. A spirit-filled man or woman is concerned about preaching the gospel at all times, every place they go. Your workplace is fertile ground. Just don't think about it as, well, I might not be a pastor. I might not be a preacher. I don't get the opportunity to go to the modern-day equivalent of a synagogue and to preach and to teach and to exegete Scripture the way Paul was doing, the way his companions were doing. But when we get here, we understand that Paul was taking every opportunity he had, no matter where he went, and here's another example. He went into the marketplace, and it's a great example for you and for me today. Wherever you go, preach the gospel. Wherever you go, live the gospel. Wherever you go, understand that God has placed you there. God Almighty has placed you there to be a witness, to be a witness for Jesus, to stand up, to speak out, and to do it with courage, and to do it with humility, too. Be careful what you do on Facebook. Be careful what you do on social media. Be careful what you say in your marketplace, in the workplace. Don't just be so quick to correct people that the manner in which you correct them ends up being an exercise in yourself, shooting yourself in the foot. You can win a battle and lose a war. If people don't see that the way you're presenting the gospel is done with humility and respect and tact and diplomacy, even as Paul did it in the face of opposition, People will never get beyond your words to the actual word of God, the living and true God. You need to be very careful that you don't become your own worst enemy in your efforts to lead people to the feet of Jesus. And so while courage is tremendously important today, humility and courage are sojourners. They travel together. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will take the opportunity to preach and to teach Jesus, to introduce Jesus to other people every instance you're given. And not only every instance you're given, but you will make and you will create opportunities. You will create opportunities. Think of creative ways that you can bring Jesus into a discussion. When people ask you how your weekend was and you're spending some time in the word of God, when you go to work tomorrow and people ask you, how's it going? You have an opportunity. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a big softball right now. I'm gonna lob it at you right now, okay? For those of you who are still thinking about football, I'm gonna throw you a pass right now. Go deep, okay? When somebody asks you tomorrow, how's it going? You don't have to give the same run-of-the-mill, boring answers. Be like the Apostle Paul who was filled with the Holy Spirit in the marketplace. He went there looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Here's something you can actually say. You know, thank you for asking. I'm actually doing amazingly well. Yesterday, when I was at church, God actually spoke through a donkey. <laughs> he actually spoke through a donkey. Then you pause and you wait for the response. <laughs> what? Yeah, he does it every Sunday at my church. <laughs> my lead pastor, I can't say this about our other pastors, I'll let them speak for themselves. 
My lead pastor is the biggest donkey you've ever seen. And every time he opens his mouth, I hear God speaking through him. This is an example in Numbers chapter 22, where God spoke through a man named Balaam's donkey. And if God could speak through that donkey, I thank God that he speaks through my pastor again and again. And what God was actually doing in my life yesterday was speaking to me in practical ways that encouraged me, that inspired me, and transformed me. Would you be interested in coming with me this coming Sunday to my church? Because I'd love for you to see the talking donkey for yourself. (laughs) And by the way, December, we've decreed it. The pastors of the church, we've decreed that December is invite your friend to church month here at Grace Fellowship. Invite your friend to church month. One of the greatest months of the year as we go toward Christmas, you've got an opportunity to bring people to church, invite them, and I just gave you a huge softball of how to do it. So in the marketplace, in your workplace, when somebody asks you how you're doing, don't just say, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, pretty good. Not that bad considering all these things that we've been trained to say in the flesh. How about being trained to make the most of every opportunity, being a man or a woman who's filled with the Holy Spirit and to look for opportunities in the workplace to present Jesus to somebody who needs to hear it. Paul was bringing the church to the people. He brought Jesus into the marketplace. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You'll do it too. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll bring Jesus into the marketplace. I know of several of you who are tremendous examples at your workplace, having started Bible studies for the people at your workplace, people coming to know Jesus as their Savior because you've started Bible studies, and then these people starting Bible studies as well. It's as if you understand this whole thing about discipleship. Discipleship. Another word for discipleship is replication. Replication. Until you're serious about replicating yourself, you don't understand what discipleship is. You've got something to replicate in your own life. You know more about the gospel, more about Jesus than somebody else knows that you're coming across in your marketplace, in the workplace. Go out there, be filled with the Holy Spirit and bring Jesus into whatever environment you're in. In fact, change the environment that God sends you into. That's what salt does, changes the flavor. That's what light does, changes the darkness. You are sent by Almighty God in a way similar to how Paul was sent by Almighty God to go into the world and to preach the gospel, to evangelize and to teach people about their Savior and their God, Jesus. Get out there this week and make a difference. Look for opportunities. Change the environment. Can I get an amen for that? Get out there and change the environment. Verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, these were the best-known philosophical schools of the day. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, the word that's used there for babbler literally could mean scavenger or scrapmonger. You can look at it this way. This is a person who picks up bits and pieces of information or seeds, who picks up seeds and starts talking about them before they really understand what it all means. That's what they're accusing Paul of. This is not a compliment that they're giving him. They're saying, who is this babbler? Who's this seed picker? Who's this scavenger? Who is this guy that's picking up these bits of information and out here babbling about it as if he's an expert on it? 
Well, God gets the last laugh through the writing of Luke, as we're going to see in just a moment. But this is what they're accusing Paul of. And when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Corinth is one of the areas that Paul's going to go into and preach the gospel. And he ended up writing two letters that we have a record of today. There were other letters that he wrote to the Corinthians, evidence seems to suggest, but two of them are preserved, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And Paul had a particular problem with the Greeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 says this, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. And brother, sister, aren't we seeing it right here? Who's this babbler? Who's this guy who's picking up bits and pieces of information and presenting them as if he's an expert in it? We're the ones who have the insight. These are philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics and the Epicureans. Listen to what the Epicureans were known for. Diogenes said this, that they were akin to being agnostic secularists. Agnostic secularists. Didn't really care if there was a God. Agnostic, you're not sure if there's a God that exists, but they were secularists, all right? And they could, what could be said of them would be this, according to Diogenes, nothing to fear in God, nothing to feel in death. Good or pleasure can be attained. Evil can be endured. Tough it up. Buck up, go through this life, stop thinking about spiritual things. Agnostic secularists, the Epicurean philosophers, the Stoics were pantheists. They believed in multiple deities. And one of the things that they were concerned about was the unity of humanity and a connection with the divine. That's why they had many different gods. They're looking for that connection with the divine and for unity among humanity, all right? They believe that reason, the state of the world, self-sufficiency, these were the chief concerns of people. Reason, the world situation, self-sufficiency. These were the things that people should be concerned with. Now, isn't it ironic that Paul runs into these guys as he is learning more and more how to be dependent upon God and not to be self-sufficient? That's one of the characteristics of a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life, to be somebody who's not self-sufficient but dependent upon God. And these are the characters that he runs into. Verse 19, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, the equivalent of the Superdome. This is where big time ideas were debated. The other name for this is Mars Hill. This is where philosophical debates and arguments and the latest and greatest ideas were presented. So Paul gets to the Superdome there in Athens, the Areopagus, and they say, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, here's Luke's, how can I say this in a respectful way? Here's Luke's revenge toward those who were calling Paul a babbler. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That's Luke's way of saying the real babblers were the Athenians, the ones who were calling the man who had the truth a babbler, somebody who was not an expert. They're the ones who were not the experts at all when it came to knowing the truth about the living and true God. The ones who were doing the name calling end up being the ones who practiced the very name that they were accusing Paul of. 
the Athenians were the babblers. Now, just a few days ago, on November 21st of this year in Fort Lauderdale, a teen idol, 67 years of age, David Cassidy, passed away. Many of you know David Cassidy from the Partridge family. Some of you might be familiar with this song, I Think I Love You. That's the song that he was most famous for. He was suffering from dementia and some other illnesses, and his daughter just released yesterday his last words. The last words of David Cassidy, which are still ringing in the ears of his daughter, and I hope are still ringing after I say them, they will still be ringing in your ears as well. His last words were, so much wasted time. So much wasted time. And isn't that true in many of our lives? Will we spend time babbling about things that really don't matter in the eternal scheme of our lives in Christ? So many of us spend our time studying and fixating and focusing on things that really don't matter in the eternal scheme of things. They really don't bring people to the feet of Jesus. They really don't help us get to know God more deeply. And in the eternal scheme, they are nothing other than a waste of time. Learn a lesson from David Cassidy. So much wasted time, don't waste any more. Don't waste any more precious time. It's the one resource we never get more of. We've all been given 24 hours in a day. And now's the time. Today is the day to remember eternity. It's where we will spend most of our time. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. Now, he's not necessarily giving them a total compliment. Might be a tinge of sarcasm here in his words. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. And by the way, religion won't save you. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, remember the Stoics, the Pantheists, worshipped many gods, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. Paul's using this as a segue, an opportunity to do what? The same thing you're going to be doing at the workplace. Looking for opportunities to bring Jesus into the conversation. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. You know that old hymn that has that verse in it? It came from the Greek philosophers, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So we see Paul using common ground to take the people from where they were to where they needed to be in their understanding of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. Their statues that they would have had there, their idols would have been adorned with gold and silver and made out of stone. An image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere 
to repent. All people everywhere to repent. You know, there's this erroneous teaching being presented today by some who are famous pastors that repentance was for the nation of Israel, but not the calling of God for the New Testament believer. It's unbelievable. All you have to do is read the Bible. It's right there in black and white. God calls people everywhere to repent. What is repentance? You're going in this direction, walking away from God in mind, in heart, in deed, in word. Everything is going against God, flying in the face of his direction and his intention. Repentance is doing a 180 from that and then instead of walking away from God, drawing near to him making sure your heart, making sure your mind, making sure your emotions, making sure your resources, making sure that everything about you now is moving toward honoring God for the glory of God. And God calls people everywhere, whether you're Jew or whether you're Greek, he calls people everywhere to repent, to turn from their own ways, to turn from the ways of the world, to turn from the ways of Satan, and to turn fully to God. Here's a verse of scripture that will help you. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. What is God's calling on your life? It is to repent and keep repenting. To take captive every thought is to repent. To make it obedient to Christ is to repent. Who's been given that responsibility? You've been given that responsibility. I'm given that responsibility. It's an obligation before Almighty God to repent. Verse 31, he's called everybody everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world. This is what we see Paul talking about elsewhere in Romans and Corinthians, other parts of the scripture, the idea of a judgment before Almighty God. He's fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Who is that man? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the judge. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead, the resurrection. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Why would they mock? Well, the Epicurean philosophers, <laughs> agnostic secularists. There may be a God, there might not be a God, but when you die, it's over. There is no resurrection. There is no afterlife. You're out. So this idea of the resurrection, what are the Greeks looking for? Wisdom. This is foolishness to the Greeks. Resurrection. Are you kidding me? Read 1 Corinthians, read 2 Corinthians, and you'll see some of the problems that Paul had with the Greek world here. And he's going to come up to the Corinthians, as we'll see later on. Verse 33, so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. The historicity here, specific people named that help us understand that this is not allegory that we're reading. It's an actual historical account through firsthand eyewitness, the physician Luke, who's writing about the great physician, Jesus, and everything that Jesus continued to do through the apostle Paul and his traveling companions. It's just an amazing passage of scripture that's worthy of you studying again and again. Now, here's a couple of things I want you to take away, especially, you've already had some takeaway points, but here's something I want you to understand. Spirit-filled living, a spirit-filled life is a faithful life. A spirit-filled life is a faithful life, regardless of the opposition you might be facing. Remember, remember, Paul and Silas had just gotten out of prison in Philippi. And what do they do? 
They get out of prison and they continue to go through Macedonia in obedience to the vision given to them by Almighty God at night when Paul had that vision of the Macedonian man. Come over here and help us. Come over here and help us. And immediately they set out to go to Macedonia, northern Greece, and that's what we're seeing happen. But there's persecution that comes. And we see this pattern again and again. Opposition, persecution, and then a vindication people believing in the gospel. And we see Paul being absolutely undeterred. We see his traveling companions being absolutely undeterred. That God has a calling on their life and they're going to be faithful to it. Now you might say to yourself, well, I didn't get a vision. I didn't have some specific calling to be a pastor or an elder or an evangelist or to be some famous person or whatever you might want to think is more important than simply your obedience to Almighty God. But I want, to, I want you to think about this in very practical terms. A spirit-filled believer is a faithful believer. If you're married, God has called you to be faithful to your wife or faithful to your husband. If you have children, God has called you to be faithful to your children. If you have parents or guardians, God has called you to be faithful to them. God has called you as a believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the characteristics of a spirit-filled believer is that they are faithful to what God has shown them. Faithful to what God has shown them. I think it's all too easy in life to go through life looking for some special revelation from God. If only God spoke to me in some special way, then I would follow God. You know, God has spoken to you in the most special of all ways through this, the cross of Jesus Christ. We're on the cross, Jesus took every single one of your sins. And all you have to do is accept that gift that cost Jesus everything that Jesus died in your place, surrender your life to him, and then make it your practice to study the word of God, the Bible. A spirit-filled life is one characterized by faithfulness. How do you know whether or not you're spirit-filled? You don't need to look for dramatic, quote-unquote, supernatural signs. The older I get, the more I realize that the most supernatural of all signs is selflessness. The most supernatural of all signs is selflessness. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you're married, you'll be faithful to your spouse. You will be loyal to your spouse. Stop watching pornography. And I don't want anybody looking at me as if I'm out to lunch here because statistics show that 70% of Christian men over the past three months have watched something inappropriate, looked at an inappropriate picture, on that smartphone that's dumbed us down, on a computer, on a tablet, on television. So when we come into the house of God, when we come into church and we gather together, unless we're an anomaly and we're not, that means that 70% of the men in this church have done that. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you won't do that. Use your smartphone to reach out to another brother in Christ and go have breakfast with them. That's our men's ministry. Use your smartphone. Call them up and say, hey, I need some honest accountability in my life. I want you to help me. I want you to pray for me. Who knows? They might look back at you and say, thank you, brother, for your honesty, your transparency, and your sincerity. You know, I got the same issue myself. Two are better than one. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. 
When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be faithful to your spouse. You will be a faithful provider for your family. Paul says elsewhere, if any man is a believer and doesn't take care of the needs of his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever and is acting as they've denied the faith. You might not ever have a vision from Almighty God, a supposed word of knowledge, a supernatural experience, but we all have access to the word of God. You can have a word from the throne of Almighty God anytime you want it, as often as you want it, courtesy of the word of God, the Bible. So put that black and white into action and be a person who is faithfully committed to putting the word of God into practice in your life, in your family, at the workplace. Be honest, not dishonest. Be honest and be faithful to Almighty God. Be faithful to the people God has put into your life. Not only that, but look at here how Paul compliments, how Luke compliments the Bereans. It's the only time this word is used in all of the book of Acts. Verses 10 and 11, Acts chapter 17, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, the Jews of Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The word that's used there, eagerness, the only time that that's used in the book of Acts, they have a hunger for the word of God. And the word that's used there, examining, where it says examining the scriptures daily in the second part of verse 11, the word examining is as used in a legal process for a trial. That's what the Bereans were doing. In a way, even though the Thessalonians received the word of God, some of them received the word of God, the Bereans stood out. They studied the word of God every day, each day, as if they were in a process, as if they were in a process, a legal process, preparing for a trial. And this is commended. Luke commends their attitude, commends their approach to studying the word of God. And it helps us understand helps us understand something that we can plug into our own lives. There's a difference between just reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God. There is a difference between just reading the Word of God. I'm not advocating that you stop reading the Word. Some of God's Word is better than none of God's Word. It's always best to read some of God's Word. If you're in a hurry, get up late, read a verse or two of scripture before you go out the door? Do something in the word of God. But if that's your regular practice, you are missing out on the deep truths of the Messiah Jesus that Paul was taking time to educate the Bereans about and the Thessalonians and the saints, the people who became saints in Philippi and then Corinth. The Bereans were commended for having a dedicated approach to studying the scriptures. If you want uh, a resource that you can purchase on Amazon, get Daryl Bach's commentary on the book of Acts, the Baker Bible Commentary, Daryl Bach, B-O-C-K. Daryl Bach's commentary on the book of Acts, one of the reasons why I love it is it doesn't just deal with gray matter. He deals with practical application as well. A steady diet in God's word, studying the word of God is something that will take you deeper and higher in your walk with Jesus. Remember, remember, you cannot 
worship a God you don't know. Paul understood that when he was at the Areopagus saying, hey, let me proclaim to you. I see you've got an idol to a God that's unknown. Let me help you understand who he is. And he used that as a launching pad to help them understand Jesus. And people came to know Jesus as their Savior and God. The gospel is not without opposition. We see one of the primary characteristics of a spirit-filled life is that you're going to be opposed. They oppose Jesus, they'll oppose you too. Listen, if you're waiting for people to stand up and applaud when you go into work, that's everybody's fantasy, I guess, right? If you're waiting for people to stand up and applaud for you when you share the gospel, you're missing the point. The applause that you seek is the applause of heaven by being faithful to God, by being filled with the Holy Spirit, by taking the gospel and taking Jesus, the one that the gospel is all about, everywhere you go, and not just into environments where you go, but changing the environments as you go, leading people to the feet of Jesus so that they can come to know him as Savior and they can live for him as Lord. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.